Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, I am coming to you from Midtown Manhattan. I am at the site of the President's news conference he's going to be holding this afternoon. Uh, this is <laughs> this is quite a day. We have had the, uh, the release of the transcript, or I guess uh, more accurately we should say the memorandum of the telephone conversation between President Trump and President Zelensky of Ukraine. And Rick, just minutes ago, uh, the president, uh, our president, President Trump, met with President Zelensky. I believe this is the first time the two men have met face to face, and certainly uh, the, the, the first time since the phone conversation of July 25th. And uh, Rick, President Zelensky was asked directly if he felt any pressure in that uh, phone conversation. Take a listen to this exchange and also President Trump. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be involved to democratic, open, uh, um, elections, elections of USA. No, you heard that we had, uh, I think, good uh, phone call. It was normal. We spoke about many things, and I, so, so I think, and you read it, that nobody pushed it. Pushed me, yes. In other words, no pressure. President Trump, because you know what, there was no pressure, and you know there was. And by the way, you know there was no pressure. All you have to do is see it. What went on on the call? But you know that. But you could ask the question. But Rick, I got to tell you this: um, this memorandum, which is uh, in the form of a transcript, and according to White House officials, uh, it is. Uh, it was created using a. You know, one of those programs that automatically transcribes uh, uh, conversations, kind of like uh, when you send me text messages via and you, and you use the Siri app, you know, and it right, comes up right. with a... Well, usually that has a lot of, uh, a lot of mistakes, <laughs> so I guess it's cleaned up a little bit. But, um, but when, I, when, when this thing was released uh, this morning, my first reaction was that this looks a lot worse than what had been anticipated, worse than what... I had anticipated, and I think what most people had anticipated, and it was hard to imagine exactly what the White House thinks they accomplish. I mean, I guess they can accomplish the the appearance of transparency uh, in putting this out, but but this this shows the president very clearly asked the president of Ukraine to investigate his political rivals, Joe Biden, and, and also uh, the DNC. And, John, it came, it came just a day after House Speaker Pelosi took that fateful step of launching or saying she would launch a formal impeachment inquiry, a step that she resisted for all of these months. I am, frankly, just still my, my head spinning from the developments of the last week. This is a story they went from zero to a million uh, in a nanosecond. And, and now, all of a sudden, we are talking about the very real prospect of impeachment of the president of the United States. And I, I think you're right in terms of the political fallout of this particular memorandum. This does not help the president's case to say that it was all above board. He can spin it as he wants, but it is there for all to see how the president phrased these things. The key question for lawmakers will be, is it a high crime or misdemeanor, or is it just Trump being Trump? I don't know how you defend this as an appropriate conversation, an appropriate use of presidential authority. But if anything, it adds fuel to the impeachment fire, don't you think? No question. And what's fascinating about this, and I think what has spooked, um, I think has spooked the president and and some of the people around him, maybe not all of them, but certainly some of them, is that this happened so quickly. 
you know, the Mueller investigation went on for about two years and didn't move the ball discernibly on impeachment. I mean, really at all. Um, and this story broke one week ago. So six days after the story breaks, Nancy Pelosi is meeting with her caucus saying that she's going forward with impeachment proceedings. That's one thing. But but more than that, it was the words that Nancy Pelosi used. She wasn't simply saying now it is time to begin to investigate whether or not we should impeach the president. She sounded like somebody that had already decided that the president needs to be impeached. She said that he had violated his oath of office. She said that he had broken the law. She used that phrase uh, multiple times. Uh, And then this morning we heard from Adam Schiff, uh, uh, obviously the chairman of the Intelligence Committee in the House, say that knowing what he already knows, he thinks the president should be impeached. That's not should face impeachment proceedings, should be impeached. And keep in mind, all of that came before we saw this transcript where we see, or this memorandum of the call, where we see in black and white the president saying that he wants the president of Ukraine to do me a favor. I would like you to do us a favor. I mean, we're in an, I think we're in, in, in a very different place than we were a week ago. Yeah, and the added dimension today of, uh, of of offering up the help of not just Rudy Giuliani, his personal his personal attorney, but of the uh, but of the Attorney General himself, William Barr, to to assist in this, uh, saying that that would that would move forward. It is astounding. I mean, the, the call, what we know of the call, sounds very much like Trump being Trump, but they're written out in transcription form or memorandum form. It is particularly stark, and, and I, I it can't be viewed in the vacuum. Now we we're having calls from Capitol Hill for a very targeted uh, take, uh, a rifle shot of sorts, an impeachment that only takes a look at this one count. But it comes in the context of six different committees that have been investigating this president since the beginning of the year, since they became committee chairman. The Mueller report and that investigation that lasted well more than well more than a year, year and a half. Uh, all of that set the table for this. But it, even then, it is still astounding how quickly things spiraled from there. And I wonder if the if the, this the pace of revelations, the pace of information uh, can even keep pace with the politics around it or if politicians are able to process that because it, we're at a stage now where you legit don't know what people think because no one's had time to even digest it. That's how fast everything's moved. Now, you, you brought up uh, Attorney General Barr, and one of the things that's interesting reading through this transcript is, first of all, it, it should be said, it is it is President Zelensky who first brings up Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani, and that Rudy Giuliani met with his people, and he would hope that Giuliani was going to come back to Ukraine, and he would meet with them. And obviously, we know what Giuliani's meetings were about. They were about, you know, this, this Biden issue. Um, so he, but then the president talks about Rudy, and every time he brings up Rudy, he also brings up our attorney general, our attorney general Barr. And he, at the end of the call, he says, you know, Rudy Giuliani and Attorney General Barr will give you a call. Um, so it seems like he is saying that he is directing, he would, he would be directing his attorney general to be involved with his personal lawyer in this effort to get a foreign country to investigate a political rival. I mean, on many levels, many levels, uh, grave, grave concerns there, including the idea that an attorney general would be directed by the president to take part in any way in an investigation, a prosecution um, of, a, uh, of a political rival. But I, we, we're, we are joined now by our uh, superb 
uh, Justice Department reporter Alex Mallon. And, and Alex, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. So, Alex, important point here, when the president was asked, did he actually talk to uh, Attorney General Barr about any of this, he was just asked this a few minutes ago, he said no. And you've heard directly on the record from the Justice Department that uh, they are saying that Attorney General Barr was never aware that any of this stuff was going on. Yeah, they released this statement right around when the transcript uh, came out today, making clear that the president, uh, or the attorney general, never discussed this issue with the president. He never discussed uh, Ukraine with uh, with uh, Rudy Giuliani, and really just trying to distance uh, the attorney general entirely from this this entire matter, uh, just because of how damning the transcript is. Now that's that's really interesting here because it's not like a glancing reference. I think I counted five times in this transcript where Attorney General Barr uh, is is brought up. And the president, and, this, and keep in mind, this call was on July 25th. So this call is, you know, this call is a couple months ago. And the president is directly saying that he's going to be talking to Barr and Barr is going to reach out. Something happened to prevent that 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 from happening. And I wonder, and we don't know, and I think this is some of the questions we have to ask, is why didn't it happen? You know, assuming that, assuming that the Justice Department is, 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 is telling us the, the straight truth here, why, why was the president, what happened to prevent the president from going to the attorney general and asking him to do this? And, you know, it makes me wonder, is there another kind of Don McGahn situation where, um, where, where people inside the White House are basically saying, you know, recognizing that this would be a grave problem, uh, even if the president doesn't understand why it would be a problem, people around him understand that the idea of, you know, getting his attorney general involved in this would, 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 have, been a, would have been a big problem. And I think you have to wonder also, is that going to be any of that information going to be included in the full complaint, uh, which we've now uh, learned is going to be transmitted to Congress uh, sometime today. And I think that what's really important with all this is the DOJ released this Office of Legal Counsel memo this morning that gave us more insight into what the DNI IG observed as a result of this complaint that was from this whistleblower. And he, he clearly says that he was concerned that the president broke federal campaign finance laws by soliciting the help of a foreign power in influencing the U.S. election. Uh, now, now we all know now that the DOJ, when this was referred to the criminal division, they looked into this as a review, uh, and they determined that they could not find any uh, campaign finance violations and it didn't escalate into uh, them launching any type of formal investigation or announcing criminal charges. But also a DOJ official told reporters today that they never even looked in as a part of that review into uh, the whole matter regarding that military aid that was withheld from Ukraine, which is going to raise a lot of questions. And I think you'll see a lot more pressure from Congress. And we already are seeing a lot more pressure from Congress on the DOJ's involvement in this. And, and Alex, it's it, the narrow question of a campaign finance violation seems beside the point from where where Congress stands on this now, they're not worried about some obscure violation of uh, of campaign finance law. They're worried about the president uh, offering up or uh, or using his influence to 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 try to to try to have a foreign government investigate a political rival. That's bigger than than campaign finance law. It's not clear that the DOJ has looked into that or that they have the capacity to look into that. To my mind, have they said anything about recusals and the like? Um, given Barr's mention, mention in now in in this transcript, uh, whether the Justice Department could even find someone to look into the legality surrounding this. 
I actually asked that very question in this briefing that we held this morning uh, before the release of the transcript with these, uh, with several DOJ officials, and I asked, you know, was there ever consideration to the Attorney General recusing himself from this matter, just considering, you know, the, the avoiding that appearance of impropriety, considering he was, he was named so many times by the President in that transcript, and they, they really kind of just had no idea what I was talking They acted like they had no idea what I was talking about, said it was never under consideration that he wasn't involved in the, the review of this by the criminal division. Uh, really at all. He was never involved in the legal analysis. Uh, but in terms of this moving forward, uh, the, the Justice Department says that this matter has been entirely dropped. They are trying to distance themselves from being involved with this and leaving it up to uh, you know, the path forward with the DNI and the White House. But I, I think that you know what we're already hearing from Congress is they see uh, that I guess what Adam Schiff said earlier today, uh, he says that the DOJ is part and parcel involved in everything that they do moving forward with this impeachment inquiry. John, if I could ask the view, the, the, the issue of impeachment is something that the White House has known could be coming down the pike since the moment that Democrats won control of, of the House of Representatives uh, last November. But this issue around it came out of nowhere from from anyone's perspective as you said all within the space of a week what kind of war footing is the white house on right now how has the the president's reaction and the white house reaction colored the last couple of days in terms of transparency in terms of reaction to this well the immediate has been political uh you know the, the, you've seen the campaign come out I thought it was interesting uh, that the Trump campaign put out a fundraising appeal less than an hour after Nancy Pelosi spoke. And by the way, they tell us they raised a lot of money with that fundraising appeal, you know, joined the Trump uh, uh, impeachment defense team. Um, so and, and, you, and you saw the president say that they tell me this will help me politically. Brad Parscale, the campaign manager, said that explicitly this will only serve to energize their core supporters and lead to a landslide victory. But... What I have been told, Rick, and you and I have discussed this, uh, people that really know the president, close to the president, say that he does not want this. Uh, that that, uh, that the the prospect of impeachment is something uh, that, uh, that that he resents. That he sees something that would stain uh, his legacy. Uh, something that he, something he does care about, as friends say, um, and he 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 wants this stopped. I thought it was telling that. Before Pelosi came out uh, with her statement, but when it was clear that it was moving in that direction, that as as she said, you know, she got a call. The president was calling her to, to you know, to talk about guns, <laughs> which, of course, probably wasn't really why he was calling her, because it quickly got off uh, in, in, into this matter. He, you know, he's always seen himself as as somebody who could, uh, you know, who, who could work, who could actually you know, pressure, 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 and then make the big deal, just like he did with Kim Jong-un. Well, that's not working with Nancy Pelosi, and he's actually facing this. And I think that, uh, I, I don't think that they have a clear, coordinated, uh, coherent uh, strategy to deal with this yet. And and I, it seems to me that the presidency, as we've known it, uh, is now frozen in place, along with the 2020 campaign, the campaign to replace him. This is the big issue. This is the big story. The idea of cutting deals and governance and really everything else, it takes a, it takes a bit of a backseat to, to all of this. This is going to be an all-consuming issue. And I don't, I don't know that it's possible to convey 
that in the space of a podcast that this blots out the sun, John. I mean, this is this is all we're going to be talking about for a while. And 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 Rick, we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna take a break, and you and you're, you've got a conversation with a with a member of Congress and the crosshairs on this. But but think about this uh, as we go into the break. The, the the Democrats have made it clear that they want to get this. You know, they want to move quickly on this. Uh, you hear talk of having a having this process, the House being done with this by the end of the year. Um, you know that's that's an aggressive timeline, but it's very similar to the timeline you saw with the uh, with the Clinton impeachment in 1998. But if they go with that, think about what we're going to be dealing with simultaneously: funding the government, possible shutdown, war over the wall, all of this happening uh, with you know the the, the, the uh, primary the, the the New Hampshire primary, Iowa caucuses right around the corner. I mean, this is going to be. Uh, a very intense period, and the thing, like you said, the, the the big thing hanging over all of this is impeachment. Yeah, and it is it is a much different day and a much different world than we are now inhabiting surrounding all of this. Uh, our thanks to Alex Mellon, uh, and uh, when we come back from this break here on Powerhouse Politics, I will talk to one of the freshman House Democrats who this week changed his position on impeachment uh, and has read the transcript and is even more fired up than before. Stay with us. And we're joined now on Powerhouse Politics by Congressman Dean Phillips, Democrat from Minnesota, one of the freshman Democrats who just this week has come out in support of impeachment of President Donald Trump, beginning those impeachment proceedings. And Congressman, we've all just read this transcript, or at least partial transcript, from the White House of the conversation between President Trump and the president of Ukraine. What's your view of this transcript? What have you learned from this? And does anything in this uh, make you reconsider your position or, or solidify your position on impeachment? Well, Rick, I, I have I have the summary uh, right in front of me. Uh, I've read it and reread it, and uh, to be forthright, uh, it's damning. Uh, it confirms what uh, we have suspected over the last couple of days uh, uh, in writing uh, and in the president's own words. And uh, frankly, I believe it is so damning that uh, it's sufficient evidence to file a single article of impeachment uh, relative to his uh, behavior that I believe has betrayed the public trust, uh, betrayed American interests, betrayed his oath of office, uh, and requires action. What specific part do you view as, as, as you put it, damning? Uh, we, we've heard already from a number of Republicans who say this is basically how Trump speaks. There's no quid pro quo. What's, what's your take in, in reading this and rereading it? Well, I, I think you know, the president might say this is how I speak and there's nothing wrong with this, but ignorance is not the defense. Uh, and the president of the United States, uh, above all else, should recognize uh, that there's always an implicit quid pro quo when a favor is asked. And as one reads the summary, uh, one will notice that the president of Ukraine uh, references an interest in buying missiles from the United States, uh, all of this while hundreds of millions of dollars are being held in the balance by the president. And the next line is the president of the United States asking for a favor. Uh, if that is not implicit, uh, I don't know what is. A lot has been made about the uh, the so-called majority makers, a group that uh, you're part of, the freshman Democrats who, who defeated Republicans in the last election, uh, m- being swayed by these events. And I'm just trying to get a sense of your thought process in, in this. When and, and how did you process the information that started to come out about a week ago and recognize that this was a, a game changer in your view? Sure. Well, Rick, like many Americans, I've been watching uh, a pattern of behavior that I consider to be unbecoming uh, of an American president over the last number of months. 
Uh, but I also believe strongly in process and principle and uh, why I had uh, strong views that we should continue uh, the investigation. I was not on the front side of calling for impeachment. Uh, but when I read the accounts uh, and the allegations uh, just a week ago of, of this behavior, uh, my initial reaction is that I had I thought it crossed a threshold uh, that was uh, clear um, and black and white, uh, and if corroborated with evidence that is now sitting in front of me at this very moment, uh, requires uh, immediate action. And uh, I flew back to Washington on Sunday evening. Uh, I had two hours to myself with my own thoughts, and, and I assessed and read everything available at that time and decided uh, on that flight uh, that uh, this action was required. And uh, I, I'm one of many, I think, who uh, whose minds uh, were changed by this egregious abuse of power. And uh, it was as simple as that. So I've been asked a lot in the last couple of days uh, about where public opinion is on this. And I think the honest answer is we don't know. But I'm curious what you're hearing from constituents in the Twin Cities area. What, what if anything, people have absorbed of this storyline? And do you feel like the public is on board for impeachment of President Trump in a way that they may not have been after the Mueller report or even before this Ukraine story broke? Well, Rick, I, I ran for Congress promising uh, to make every effort I could to clean up corruption uh, and perhaps most importantly to restore trust and faith uh, in our government. And uh, constituents in, in my district, Minnesota's third district, uh, know how I feel and why I ran. Uh, they also know that uh, uh, I was not on the front side of policy impeachment because I recognize uh, how divided our country is and do not want to be a contributor to the vision, rather uh, a repairer. Uh, with all that said, I come from a district that is engaged, uh, thoughtful, uh, both Republicans, Democrats, Independents, and Libertarians, uh, and they recognize that the Constitution and the rule of law transcends everything and everybody, including me. And uh, my belief is that in light of this new evidence, and I believe more is yet to come, uh, that most Americans will understand the gravity uh, of, of, of these, not just allegations, but transgressions. Uh, and recognize that we have a, a constitutional duty to do what's right. Uh, we took an oath to office just nine months ago, all of us, all of we freshmen, and uh, that is our responsibility and our obligation. And Congressman Phillips, what, what's your view of what the process should or will look like from here? We haven't heard of the creation of a special select committee to pursue impeachment. This is going to happen through the, the half dozen or so uh, committees that are investigating various aspects of it. Uh, will will those committees be writing articles of impeachment? How, how is this going to play out? Is it going to play out publicly? What is the process, um, as, as Speaker Pelosi has explained it and, and as you would understand it? Well, based on uh, the meeting of our caucus yesterday and uh, the way the Speaker articulated next steps. Uh, six committees will continue the investigations. I serve on two of those, financial services and foreign affairs. Uh, and uh, the notion, I believe, is to continue investigations and each committee uh, forwards uh, uh, any potential articles to the Judiciary Committee that will consider each of them and ultimately vote on whether to forward them to the full House. Uh, I do believe, Rick, that uh, in light of the release of this summary, uh, hopefully the whistleblower's uh, full report forthcoming, uh, I believe that uh, we might consider changing that and uh, moving more expeditiously on this single uh, episode and single count because the evidence literally is in our hands. And I'm not sure uh, we need to uh, broaden the scope. I don't think we need to extend uh, something that can be done quite expeditiously. I think it's in the country's best interest uh, to do so quickly. Uh, and I think, uh, sadly, and I say this with uh, the, recognizing the gravity of these decisions, 
sadly, the evidence, unfortunately, is in our hands. Is there a move already, uh, just in the last few hours, to, to consolidate that, uh, to have the process play out uh, on a more expeditious, in a more expeditious way, in a more targeted way, rather than all of the various things that the committees are looking at, to just take this one and say, this is what we're impeaching the president for? You know, uh, the news, uh, this summary is so fresh in everybody's hands that I can't help but believe that most of my colleagues uh, uh, will become like-minded uh, after reading uh, this, this summary in, in its entirety. Uh, and I certainly intend to be one that will advocate for a more expeditious uh, and perhaps singular count to be forwarded to judiciary as soon as possible. And Congressman, I'm curious as you um, as you worked through some of the the details that that have come out of this. Uh, I know that it came up at the caucus yesterday. It, it, Speaker Pelosi seemed to deflect the question of whether this would definitely lead to a, a, a vote on the House floor. And many of your colleagues, including many, some of the, the, the recently elected or the freshman members, still don't think the public's there and think this may be too divisive an issue. Are you confident that there will be a, a vote on impeachment on the floor of the House of Representatives? I believe in light, again, of, of the summary that was just released, uh, uh, more information forthcoming. I do believe that ultimately... Uh, an article or even articles will be forwarded to the entire House uh, for a vote. And and as you speak of uh, freshmen and frontliners and those from uh, tough districts, if you will, uh, I can tell you, having had conversations with just about every one of my colleagues, uh, each and every one of us uh, uh, would be willing to lose our jobs uh, in favor of upholding our oath to office uh, and protecting and preserving our Constitution. Uh, that's what we're here for. That's why we ran Uh, And most assuredly, uh, we look at this through the very same lens of responsibility to our country. And finally, Congressman, do you envision this as something that could happen on the more expeditious timetable that could be wrapped, say, by the end of the year? Or are we spilling well into 2020, even under the most optimistic scenarios for a time frame? I believe it can and should be uh, done much more expeditiously than even the end of the year. I think it can, can and should be done more quickly than that. And I, for one, would be disappointed if, in light of what was released this morning, uh, it takes longer than the end of the year. Uh, I think it can and should be done much more quickly. All right. Congressman Dean Phillips, Democrat from Minnesota, we really appreciate you you, you, uh, dialing in with us on this uh, very busy day in Washington with these very fast-moving developments. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you, Rick. Have a good day. Bye-bye. And that does it for this edition of Powerhouse Politics. Our special thanks to the entire team. Uh, John Carl joining over from the U.N., Alex Mallon at the Justice Department. Our grand poobah behind the controls, Trevor Hastings, Avery Miller, Angie Yak. Thanks for everything. We'll be back next time with another edition of Powerhouse Politics.